Morning. So, by popular demand, I'm going to read a little something from a book I'm working on at present, and then we'll comment on that. This book is entitled Friends Forever Sakirati in Uttam Bhakti and um, it consists of two cantos so this is from the first uh, actually the second chapter of the second canto which is a uh, um, Leela narrative based on the Prakat Leela as it is um, Described in Srimad Bhagavatam, that means the Prakat Leela, described in Srimad Bhagavatam, centered on Sakirati, that section. Um, that begins chapter 12 up through 15, 16, and uh, some parts of 18. <clears throat> The, uh, the, the first canto of the book then is um, describing the tattva of this uh, this uh, particular uh, type of sacred aesthetic rapture or rasa <clears throat> and uh, that covers about five five chapters. So that's where we are anyway. Um, and this is from the beginning of the uh, first uh, chapter of the second canto, second chapter actually, but it's where the Leela narrative begins. So I've begun the second canto with a, a philosophical uh, chapter about the nature of Leela before we enter into it, it um, a retelling of it, with, if you will, with... Um, Segues into the philosophical, theological implications. And of course, the idea of our practice is to hear such things, having understood from the first canto much about the tattva, the constituents of, of Bhakti Ras, the poetic constituents, as it is expressed in poetry, that is. It's not that um, that poetry gives rise to sakirasa, or that one has to be a poet to taste bhakti rasa. And this is the, one of the principal differences between bhakti rasa and the secular rasa. Uh, or aesthetic theory 
of India uh, in the arts, drama, music, poetry, and so forth. It's uh, perhaps not the best word to use to describe it as secular theory, because uh, India at that time was hardly secular. It would be hard to find a secularist. Um, They were a very marginalized uh, group. Hmm? But there were many, of course, um, within within the the umbrella of Hinduism, many different uh, religious ideas. And one of the prominent ones, of course, uh, has been and uh, even continues to be to some extent although we're whittling away at that, the work of my Guru Maharaj in particular as important in this regard. Therefore, his pranam, nirishesh sunyavadi paschachadeshatarne. This is, of course, in reference to the monism of Shankar and its popularity. Um, before Prabhupada came to America, Hinduism, Indology, I should say, 90 Five percent, at least, of the uh, perspectives on Hinduism was that it culminates in Advaita Vedanta. So he did much to, to, to change that focus. So when you see other articles about Vishishta Dvaita, Dvaita Dvaita, Dvaita, Ajinti Veda, and so forth, um, if you know the history and you can appreciate how our Guru Maharaj's hand in that, um, very much uh, following uh, as he liked to uh, think of himself, it, the mission of Bhakti Vinod. Hmm? This is, he used to say, "This is the mission of my mission is the mission of Bhakti Vinod." So, to put it in the language of Pujapatrita Maharaj, the vision came in Bhakti Vinod. It was given shape. But Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur and Bhakti Vedanta Swami Prabhupada took it all over the world. <clears throat> and um, he was very keen on having his books introduced to the academic community. And um, as much as they weren't academic in nature, and as much as in, in some respects he didn't dot all of his I's and cross all of his T's, so to speak, after all, Prabhupada's books were spoken into a dictaphone. Hmm? in the middle of the night while his disciples slept. I remember once uh, having a room in the uh, guest house of the Krishna Balaram temple that had a window in it from which one could look out and see the uh, veranda, upstairs veranda of Prabhupada. And uh, so I had the good fortune to stay there, and I used to get up in the middle of the night and look out and there, watch Prabhupada doing his writing, but into the dictaphone he was speaking. Hmm? And then, of course, he would, what was uh, uh, dictated by him was transcribed by his disciples, and then at his request it was edited with an idea to bring it up to Western standards. In terms of the English, and package it uh, in terms of Western standards of packaging, which is probably the 
greatest contribution of the Western world to the rest of the world, packaging. <laughs> so, uh, and then, and then, the finished product would be handed to him in a printed volume. In other words, it's not that Prabhupada wrote it, he spoke it, then it was transcribed, then it was edited. Maybe there were some questions here and there, but for the most part, uh, he never reviewed the work after speaking it. Hmm? He didn't have the time hmm, to do that, because by the time he woke up, then <laughs> there was a mission all over the world that he had to deal with, and uh, so on, and he had his own life, uh, practice, and so forth. Um, and he trusted his disciples. Hmm? He thought, I've given them Krishna Nam, and, and it's working wonders on them. So um, he had very much, very much trust in his, in his students. And um, that doesn't mean they didn't fail him in some regards, or um, um, that their editing was perfect. That's something they consider. <laughs> perfect book may require perfect editing. <laughs> uh, but as Bhaktivinoda Thakur said, no book is perfect. Hmm? I cited Bhagavatam itself the other day, speaking about itself. It's the pen of Vyas, but I believe these are the words of Nard. So the Nard Bhagavat is inside of the Sukadeva Bhagavat and so forth. So even the speakers and hearers, inquirers, uh, within speakers and inquirers, such as the nature of the of the text. So at a point, Nard appears to Vyas and tells him to write the Bhagavatam. This is the, the Nard Bhagavatam. Bhagi heard the Bhagavatam from Brahma. Brahma heard it from Krishna. Nard gave it to Vyas. Vyas took it and composed it. So he's rewriting, I guess you could say, what he heard from, the essence of what he heard from um, Nard, and in the, the text I said it, yat tad bisargo janataga viplavo yasmin patislokam abhadhavatipi. That there's an urgency, as Prabhupada's books very much, uh, the spirit of the Bhagavad was very much conveyed by him, a sense of urgency now. Hmm? Go back to Godhead now. Hmm? Now is the time. <laughs> uh, very strong sense of immediacy. The issue is at hand. Um, this is how he, you know, led his life. And um, and he wanted to compile the whole, do the whole of the Bhagavatam. He had when he first uh, came to America with the three 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 volumes, I believe, of the first canto. He shortly thereafter had a heart attack, and uh, whether he would be able to continue was questionable. And that loomed over him for the entire balance of his time um, amongst us. And so he was writing with some sense of urgency and, of course, con- trying to convey to us uh, his own sense of urgency to pursue uh, the, uh, the ideals of Srimad Bhagavatam. <clears throat> but um, the text then... Uh, says Yasmin that there may be some irregularities in the composition, in the grammar, uh, but we are requested to overlook such 
editorial discrepancies and uh, not let that uh, uh, cause us to find uh, find fault hmm? um, but to identify with the essential message and of course uh, take it up I mean it's a beautiful book it's a, it's a Ras, a Shastra it's a poetic text of Bhagavatam it speaks in all of the voices that the sacred texts of the Hindus speak in they speak in the voice of a king do this bring that offer this they speak in the voice of a friend who says let's take a walk you want an answer you have a question let's take a walk and talk about it tell a story Puranas Veda is like a king Puranas like a friend and the the Kavya the poet these uh, poetic texts like a, like a lover hmm? so all these voices three, all three of them are found in the Bhagavatam another reason for us to agree with Shiji Goswami as to its being the, the well as the Bhagavad itself says as well the mature work of Vyas is most mature work final contribution hmm? um, and so if we let us look at the perspective of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu when he met Ishwar Puri in Nadia and Puriji was invited to his house for lunch Ishwar Puriji he took the opportunity to present his book was it Krishna Krishna Lilamrit book that he was writing to the young Nimai Pandit Nimai Pandit was, of course, Vishwambarmeshra, his formal name, from the, uh, a Brahmin family and a Vaishnava family. But in his youth, of course, he was a, only a nominal Vaishnava. This is something I think that the, that the Guru Kulis can bond with him on. Guru Kulis are I don't know how many there are in Poland, but of this brand. But in America, we have a fair amount of them. Students, uh, they're disciples of Prabhupada's disciples, who are in the Gurukulas, who are they're like a lot of them are like devotees, but they're not devotees. Kind of, they're kind of like like they they like bhakti, but they don't. Not all of them, of course, but many of them, they don't know the tattva kind of thing that Bhakti Vinod Thakur was addressing in Bengal. So many people born as Vaishnavas, chanting and, and smoking and <laughs> other things, <laughs> not, not, not knowing the philosophy so well. Or they may know a version of the philosophy that, that they received from their parents who didn't understand it that well. And, and, uh, and Maybe that's one of the reasons some of them are not that interested in it because it's a very, very interesting worldview. Hmm? It's very rich and deep, and and you can enter into it and uh, with good guidance and never come out again. Hmm? Um, so they're kind of nominal Vaishnavas, but Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was a nominal Vaishnava in the context of the Leela. Hmm? 
he was everybody liked him except the Vaishnavas who liked him but, but, but had to show act as if they didn't and question their own liking of him I like him so much but I shouldn't he's not a Vaishnav he's wasting his time in all this pedantry and scholasticism and, uh, and, and so forth he should be a Vaishnav if only he would be a Vaishnav you should be a Vaishnava. And they go away thinking, if only he was a Vaishnava, then everything would be perfect. So before he became a Vaishnava, before he began to manifest himself as a Vaishnava, of course, he had to meet his guru, Mishpur Puri. But he was known as a Pandit at the time, so Puriji had a book he'd been writing, and he said, Pandit, young Pandit he was, young, but see the measure of his renown as a scholar, as a Pandit, his nickname was Nimai Pandit and Ishwar Puri who was quite a scholar himself thought hmm, what will the boy the boy let him read it may find some grammatical errors uh, some error in the uh, in the poetics of the book uh, and so forth hmm. I don't recall if but by that time he had defeated Keshava Kashmiri you know the story Keshava Kashmiri was the Digby Jai Pandit was going from village to village establishing himself as the as the greatest scholar and Nadia was a was a place of learning due to the due to the due to the underhandedness of Sarvabhoma Bhattacharya who had gone to Matila to learn the Navanyaya as a as a resident of Navadweep and to bring that knowledge back there and represent it but they wouldn't give him the book hmm? the book was not allowed to leave Matila so he memorized the book brought it back and wrote it again and then his student Raghunandana became the greatest uh, pundit of the Navanyaya you know the story. He had written a book with a view to become the greatest scholar, and he happened to be crossing the Ganga one day in a boat with Nimai Pandit. So he offered his book to Nimai Pandit and said, Could you please read it and let me know what you think? And Mahaprabhu said, Yes, I'd be happy to. And in fact, I've written a book also. Could you, could you read it, look it over, and it's a short book, but let me know what you think. So they're reading one another's books as the boat plies across the Ganga in the, in the Ganga Delta there, where the Ganga meets, meets the ocean. Very beautiful setting. And as they're reading, Raghunanda begins to weep. Mahaprabhu says, why are you weeping? Hmm? He says, because I wanted to be known as the greatest scholar in all of India. Hmm? And I had written my book with that in mind. But when I read your book, I see that I'm a student at best. Hmm? I have no chance. And Mahaprabhu said, oh, give me back that book. So he handed it back and Mahaprabhu threw it in the Ganga. And Raghunanda became famous for his knowledge. Hmm. 
This is what Mahaprabhu thought of knowledge unto itself. Hmm? So he had a reputation. Hmm? He defeated, defeated the case of Kashmiri when he came. All the learned pundits, elderly as they were, all left town when the Digvijay came. And they thought, this Nimite pundit, he's a scholar, but he's only a boy, so he will be the only pundit left, so the, the Digvijay will have to debate with him, and if Nimite pundit loses, then we'll say, anyway, you only debated with a boy in our village. We just happened to be out of town on that day. And of course, if the boy defeats him, what will be the, what will be the fame of Nadia then as a place of learning? Hmm? And of course, the story is nicely told in Chaitanya Charitamrita and Keshav Gajmiri was defeated and astounded at the, uh, the knowledge of Nimai Pandit. So, Ishwarpuri offered him his book to look over. And Mahaprabhu said, this book, different than Raghunandan's book, or different than the poetry of the Digvijay Pandit, which were which was a hundred spontaneous verses in glorification of the Ganges, that they just came out like that in Sanskrit poetry. How <laughs> learned the Digvijay Pandit Keshav Kashmiri was. So that's incredible. Say something about the Ganges. There was Nimai Pandit, along with his friends on the bank of the Ganga, having their 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 class. Nimai Pandit is as the teacher. It's a very beautiful setting, Vrindavan Das, reflecting upon pines for the opportunity to take birth again at that time that he came in this life just afterwards. He said to you, how can, we, how can I describe the setting of Nimai Pandit sitting with the students along the bank of the Ganga? It can't be compared, he can't be compared to Brigu, who's the guru of the gods, because the Brigu is, is, is biased towards the gods, and Nimai Pandit is un, unbiased. Hmm? Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, he's an unbiased person entirely. What else did he say? Um, he cannot be compared to a couple other things he came up with, I forget at the moment. But if there's anything, something I can, one thing I can think of to compare him to that may be apt and appropriate, hmm? that is Jamuna Puline along the bank of the Ganga hmm? and a picnic lunch after killing Agasura. Krishna sat with his friends hmm? and uh, this vision of Nimai Pandit with his friends along the bank, I think it's comparable. Hmm? He's saying the Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is, is, is Govinda himself. Hmm? So, at any rate, Ishwarapuri offered the book, and Mahaprabhu said, This is a book by a devotee, it is a book about Krishna. You're asking me to check it for any faults. But there cannot be any faults in such a book. Because the effort, the sincere effort to glorify Krishna, he thought, is faultless. There may be some technical points to that. It should be correct in terms of tattva. There should not be any conflicting with 
uh, aesthetic sensibilities that for example the rasa the lila is uh, falls within the parameters of that's why when sometimes poetry was offered to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and Puri through Sarup Damodar Sarup Damodar would check it if it is correct in tattva if it is correct in terms of aesthetic sensibilities rasa tattva then it would be offered to Mahaprabhu if not it would be handed back with correct this correct that something like that hmm? but Ishvapuri of course was a, was a great uh, devotee of very high stature hmm? and Mahaprabhu replied in this way hmm? um, and we also may think of it like this because Madam Mahona asked the other day well one thing about preaching, what if we make, you know, how qualified do we have to be? What if we make a mistake in what we're preaching? I think said something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one time I was sitting with Prabhupada in Vrindavan, and I had heard that Prabhupada was going to cook that day for himself. So I thought, I'm going to go and I'm going to watch him cook or help him cook. So I'd be in a very extraordinary event. Typically, he wouldn't cook for himself, although he was a very good cook. Mm-hmm. And previously, I was a sannyasi at that Previously, I had the opportunity to taste Prabhupada's cooking. When two sannyasis, <laughs> Nikishoda Nandan Maharaj and Guru Kripa Maharaj, came to America for the first time after having been in India for years, and um, they came to Los Angeles, and I was there. I was well known as a brahmachari for my uh, participation in Sankirtan. And these were, they were quite... A couple of characters, these two goblins of mine, and um, and they uh, they they brought they brought the the the, uh, the songs of Bhakti Vinod really to 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 the to the Americas, hmm? and they would sing Udilaruna Purovabage. Vijamani Gaura Mone Jage Jeev Jago Jeev Jago Gaura Chanda Bole All these songs of Bhakti Vinod. So, so moving. Hmm? And so, they, uh, uh, Prabhupada came when they were there hmm? during that time. And so they were bringing something very wonderful, and then Prabhupada came also with a very surcharged spiritual atmosphere. After Prabhupada would uh, greet the deities in Los Angeles, he would greet the deities. Each altar, he would bow down, and then and then he would come across and turn back, head towards his vyasas, and we had a huge, huge picture of. Bhagavan Narahari Natsingadev tearing apart here in the Kasipur and offer his respect to that, and then he would sit on his Vyasa san and then he would of course he would he would chant Rana Madhava, Jai Rana Madhava, Bhaktivinotakur's song, and then give Bhagavatam recitation. And after that well actually I should say, um, after some time uh, his his singing was preceded by an Arctic. There's another story how the Arctic, the Vyasa, the, the, the Guru Puja began, and an Arctic song, Sri Guru Charanapadma, would, would, we would sing. There's a 
when I first came, we weren't, weren't doing that. That was instituted a little later on. But at any rate, he would give the Bhagavatam class, and after the Bhagavatam class, then there would be a short kirtan. Hmm. So, these two, Yashodananda and Guru Kripa, they were quite famous for their kirtan. It was quite electrifying. Hmm. And, um, and so it was kind of expected that they would, they would lead the kirtan. And as they, it was Sudama Marsh was there, he was also well known for his kirtan. There was a little struggle who would, who would lead the, the kirtan. And Prabhupada stopped him and said, Let this boy sing. Hmm. So <laughs> Prabhupada had me sing instead. And everybody looked at me and it was, it was very kind of him. I had been uh, I was thinking certain things while well, during the chanting of the Jayarada Madhava and pouring my heart out to, to Prabhupada and um, and I used to stand next to Prabhupada's Vyasa so he would play the, the cartels you know, very magically the way he would spring his hand like this he'd spring the you know, I used to meditate on his, his hand, his gestures. Like this, with open hand. I was just mystified by his movements and features. Such extraordinary bodily features. I mean, it just, it just not of this world, he, he really. His, <laughs> he's so short and so tall. Maybe he's shorter than me. He's like 5'4 or something like that, maybe 5'6. But he had such a, he felt like he felt like he was such a tall person with his eyes just looking out into the with such a vision hmm? and his ears and everything about it it's very very beautiful hmm? such a person very difficult to find and so uh, and I was thinking I, he loves this he has such feeling for these words hmm? Jairada Madhava and so forth Hmm. So I want to respond when the time comes in the kirtan, just in a way to, as if to say, I don't understand the implication of these words. I don't, but he loves them and knows them. And so let me chant them for just for his pleasure, just to please him because they're so pleasing to him. Hmm. They're not that pleasing to me, but he's pleasing to me. Hmm. I find my Krishna in him. So let me chant in such a way just just to please him. And while he was doing and he looked over at me like this, of course, he, he felt me. And then afterwards he said, let this boy sing. Mm. And he did that for like two, three mornings in a row. Let this boy sing. Mm. So I was already a little well-known for my Sankirtan. <laughs> but this Guru Kripa and, and Yashodananda, they were like checking me out. <laughs> you have to know them, what, what they were like. And so anyway, uh, Prabhupada had cooked there in Los Angeles, apparently. I wasn't aware of that. When, and they had this, the samosas that he cooked. So they called me in one day. 
one morning they said, we're going to give you something. We like you. That's what they were like. And so they opened their package and then they, they gave me a little piece of samosa. And the Prabhupada cooked this with his own hands. We're keeping it with us wherever we go. We're going to give you some. Something like that. So I had to taste Prabhupada's uh, cooking. So then they said, you probably don't get any samosas around here. And I said, well, actually I do because I was the, I, they had a competition <laughs> in uh, New York at that time. It was orchestrated by my god with the Rameswar. When I came to New York, uh, I had been a, uh, involved for three months. I had joined a traveling Sankirtan party in the Santa Cruz Mountains. And um, when Prabhupada came to Los Angeles, and they brought me down there to meet the Prabhupada. And um, he gave me initiation. Um, and so uh, I had no education or I had no resume of work. I was had no work and I had dropped out of school and whatnot for several years and so forth. So I didn't really have any um, skills, so to speak. And I looked at all the devotees, I thought they're so talented, they all of them. What will I do? What can, what can I do? So um, I had been in the Santa Cruz Mountains. I had been going out on, on Kirtan, and I was. I liked to talk to people about the books. We had Back to Godhead, some small books. We had the teachings of Lord Chaitanya. Hmm? So one of the devotees in the in the in the. In the uh, in the group, they were brahmacharis. I was married. My wife was pregnant. We joined the traveling Sankirtan party. <laughs> That's what was going on in those days. <laughs> so, so anyway, I, I would go out and talk to people and pass out the Back to Godhead magazine and, and get donations and so forth. And um, one of the brahmacharis said, you should sell the big books. You should sell some big books. The big book we had was the teachings of Lord Chaitanya. Probably used to say it's the only book I've written. The rest of them were all commentaries, although he had written some smaller books as well. So I thought, how, how, how do you distribute it? How do you sell a big book like this? It's one thing to give him a magazine. He asked for 50 cents or a quarter. I think they cost a quarter at the times, and a quarter. But this is a big book, a hardbound book, and uh, so forth. And he said, you know, you just pray to Prabhupada. <laughs> and I thought, well, that was a good answer. You know, make, that made sense, I thought. That made a lot of sense. <laughs> and so, that I did. I went to bed, I prayed to Prabhupada. I, they, they're telling me I should sell a big book, so I guess I should do that. I had been living in the Santa Cruz Mountains, and <laughs> regularly getting off target here, but topic, but it's interesting to you, I think. So, I'd been living in the Santa Cruz Mountains and um, with another guy and my wife, and uh, he, I had uh, uh, shaved my head, and someone had given me a Krishna book somewhere on the streets. So I used to read from the Krishna book and lead kirtan, and I would preach from it. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know how to join the devotees. I had, I got the mantra on the back of a pack of incense, and it was said, "Chant this mantra, and your life would be sublime." So I thought of it. That sounds good. And. Um, 
And so I was living there, and I shaved my head. I thought you supposed to shave your head, so shaved my head. And then the guy I was living with, he was a gay fellow, real tall guy, and had this really long, beautiful black hair. And he used to keep an orange sheet in his closet or whatever, in his bag. And whenever the devotees were around, and he he was take, and he put it on, he would go out and dance around with them. <laughs> so he came and he saw I shaved my head. I got something for you. You need this more than me. And he gave me the orange sheet. So I was there. I was wearing the orange sheet. He eventually became a devotee. Also, several several people, friends I knew. Um, we're living in the Santa Cruz Mountains, and they joined. In fact, recently, I just um, had the opportunity to reconnect with a friend of mine that I had driven for the first time in old Volvo to California. Hmm? And we were living in San Francisco, and then uh, we went down to Santa Cruz to get out of the city. And uh, we were living in the Santa Cruz Mountains there. And so he was there when I joined and so forth. Hmm? And I recently connected with him on Facebook. And he said, he said, I think about you all the time. He said, are you still a Krishna? I said, you, he said, you really did it. You know, like, wow, you're Swami now. You know, like, and it was an example of how, as I was saying the other day, if you were in the alternative culture and in the context of that, you joined like a guru in a mission. You like really went out there. You really dropped out. You really went the full, you know, distance, so to speak. The hippie scene was kind of like in between. You had left. You had dr- dropped out, tuned in and turned on, as they used to say. But to what? You know, to like we're not for what we've left. And we want some some love and peace. How we how we get that? You know, I'm not sure. It was kind of like nebulous. So anyway, to have joined an ashram that was like wow. So he <laughs> confirmed that to me. He said, "Wow, you had, you were you were really the one. Who who would have known?" He he didn't become a devotee apparently, but some of the others I, I knew um, also did. So at any rate. Um, uh, when they came, when the devotees came to Santa Cruz, they, they were told, when they were doing Santa Cruz, there's a in the street, there's a guy up in the mountains there, he dresses like you, and he chants like that, and he, he teaches from those books. <laughs> can't imagine what my classes were like at the time. So they immediately came up there and, and, and told me I was doing it all wrong, and I, I couldn't wear that color because I was married, and I had to wear another color. So, so I moved down to, to, to Santa Cruz, to the city, out of the mountains with them, and, and there we were. So I'd go out every day and and uh, share the books and talk about them. So when I came, they brought me to Los Angeles. I thought, I thought, I can't do anything else, really. I have no education or background or skills, so I know how to do this. It may not be important, but I'll do it. So I used to go out and sell the books. And then I, then I saw one day on the on the bulletin board they had put up a competition for selling the books and I thought well maybe that's cool maybe I entered that see so so then I 
Anyway, I won. There was only a, a couple other people who went out full-time. Most of the devotees who were householders worked in the incense business there, the spiritual sky, and then there were the temple devotees, and nobody knew how to sell the books. Not, not very much. You know, it was like we had this warehouse full of books. And so I just had a penchant for talking to people about Krishna, whatever I knew. So... Um, I, anyway, I, I won the competition. And the competition was the winner would get uh, Radha and Krishna's Sunday feast plate. <laughs> the entire Maha plate. <laughs> so I won that plate. <laughs> and I would eat every morsel of it. Every morsel. Actually... Then they, then they changed the competition that you could, you could win, uh, I think it was like Gornip Thai's lunch plate every day, or then you could win the Sunday Rukmini and dish plate, something like that. Ramaswar was pretty creative. You know? <laughs> and, uh, so, so, so I began to win, win every day. So I would go out, I would take the bus to Hollywood. That's where I would sell books in Hollywood. I would, went out with cartels and I would do kirtan for like half an hour and then I would walk them down the street and sell the books and I would, then I'd come and do kirtan again and I'd go out and sell the book and do more kirtan like that. That was my system. And uh, But then uh, when it, I started winning the lunch plate every day, I was thinking, my power to do this is coming from the prasadam. <laughs> so I thought, my power is coming from that. So I have to come back every day at midday to take lunch and eat. I think I was getting the Jagannath's plate or something like that, or going to tie. So I would eat every, you know, bit, and then I would then I'd go back out locally, nearby, at some shopping center or something like that. That was my system. So I would very much cherish that plate. And then after a while, of every day, I was thinking, this came to me very naturally. I was thinking, I'm eating this whole plate, but actually, prashadam is mercy. So I'm eating mercy, but I don't have any mercy because I'm not letting anybody else eat any of the plate. So I should actually be giving this plate to others. Hmm? So then I used to come back and I would get the plate and I would give it to all the devotees. <laughs> and then I would... This is, I, I'll tell you this, I never told the same, but then, then I would wait till everybody finished their lunch. And then we used to eat like out on the lawn and around and so Then I would go out and whatever prashadam had fallen anywhere, I would pick all that prashadam up. I never, Chaitanya Charitamrita wasn't published or anything like that. It wasn't like I was imitating Raghunath Das. <laughs> but I just, I thought prashadam. I thought this, I had great faith in Mahaprasadam. And I was thinking it was actually inoculating me from the world to be able to go out there and deal with it and not be distracted. So... We used to collect all of that, and that's what I would eat. And then, of course, there uh, wasn't much of that, so I had a, a plate also of rice and dal, whatever was, was offered that day. That was my system. So they thought, you know, you're just a brahmachari, you probably don't get some roses. Well, you know, I have a fair share. <laughs> but, but one that's cooked by Prabhupada, yeah, I don't relish that. So anyway... I had the opportunity to taste prasadam cooked by Prabhupada. So when I heard in Vrindavan that Prabhupada was cooking that day, this, by this time I was a young sannyasi, I had just taken sannyas, that um, 
it would have been um, probably the year before. So it was probably 1976. So I, I showered and went down all clean at see Prabhupada and Prabhupada was taking massage. And I said, Prabhupada, I, I came because I heard that you were going to be cooking for yourself, so I wanted to come and participate in that. And he kind of chuckled at me. He would laugh at me quite a bit. So I was pretty, probably pretty foolish looking to him. And um, I remember once when he came to, came to Los Angeles and I was... It was probably about the same year I had taken sannyas, and uh, I took sannyas in 1975, and uh, I paid my obeisance at his feet, and he looked like, who is that? And he looked, I looked up, and he just started laughing when he saw, when he seen me, he just laughed. And it happened quite a bit, so. Uh, <laughs> and so, anyway, uh, he chuckled, and he said, no, he said, uh, they're cooking, well, they're nicely, uh, why should I cook? But I can cook, he said. I can cook for myself. I can cook with wood, he said. I mean, like on a wood stove. Hmm? So he began to talk to me about how he was self-sufficient. And he could cook, like in the forest, without any... And I was a young sannyasi, so I think he was talking to me about the self-sufficiency of sannyas and so forth. And so I have a godbrother named Gopavrindapal, who was also a book distributor. And so he happened to be there, and he heard that, that I was... Somehow, the, somebody was, maybe the person who was massaging Prabhupada went out and said, Tri Parmesh talking to Prabhupada and talking about. Um, and so, so he thought I was talking about book distribution because that was what my service was. And he was a book distributor, so he thought maybe he could sneak in there and have a word or something like that. And he had this idea that it's a problem that devotees are going out and they're speaking. But they don't know the philosophy that well, so they may say something wrong. Therefore, we should train them exactly what to say hmm? so that they won't make any mistakes. So he came and Prabhupada acknowledged him and then he said, Prabhupada, I had this thought and this situation and so forth. So the conversation turned to his idea that the devotees should, before going out, they should be trained exactly what to say and what not to say. I probably didn't like the idea. He said, he said, no. He said, preaching is spontaneous. He said, just like Tripurari Marsh. <laughs> Krishna is speaking to him in his heart, and then he repeats that to the people, and he's selling the books. Sometimes Prabhupada would hear some of the things I would say. Like they would, when the first newspaper articles started coming out about energy crisis, which is, you know, the kind of the big early beginnings of the environmental movement, energy crisis. Then that was in the paper. And probably would be up on the news, and then he would take something from the news and talk about it and explain the philosophy relative to the point, trying to be contemporary in his presentation, like you can see in his early Back to Godhead, when he was publishing the Back to Godhead by himself writing it, editing it, proofreading it, publishing it, designing it, and so forth. So, um, he... Um, um, he didn't, anyway, he didn't, he didn't like that idea. He said, Tesham satatayuktanam bhajatam pitipurvakam. 
This is the first Bhagavad Gita verse I ever learned, by the way. So, very nice to hear Prabhupada uh, chanted. And he said, he quoted this verse to say, Krishna's Tadami Buddhi, he gives him knowledge in the heart. And then he speaks that. And Prabhupada would hear, or I was saying, Prabhupada would hear some of the things I would say, like during the energy crisis. We had a book that was recently published at that time called Krishna, Reservoir of Pleasure. So I used to hand it out and say, have you heard about the energy crisis? And he said, yes. I said, take this. This is the reservoir, you know, of, you know, of pleasure and whatever. And I had to you know something about it. And then, so energy crisis can be solved here, you know. That was my line. <laughs> so Prabhupada heard it. Somehow he would hear, you know, through the chain of whatever. And then sometimes he would repeat that. And what is he saying, that that boy? Then he would chuckle. They say, they say Tripura, yes. And he's saying, there is no energy crisis here. <laughs> he liked those kind of things. Once once in, uh, in, in, uh, in um, Berkeley on the morning walk, I wasn't there, but I heard the tape. One devotee asked, but Prabhupada had an idea that if we make Bengali sweets, and sell them, they will be very popular. Then we can make money to sustain ourselves for the mission. And Prabhupada said, what is that boy's name? Hmm. Somebody knew enough to say, Triprari. He said, yes, he is selling the Bengali sweets. Chaitanya Charitamrita. We will maintain ourselves in this way. Prabhupada said when he when he crossed the ocean that his, he was he was he was living on Chaitanya Charitamrita. This book was nourishing him, keeping him alive, keeping his heart beating as he traveled into the unknown. You have to understand what that getting on that boat was like. Do you want to try out what is his name? Musk, the guy with the Tesla cars, Tesla. Elon hmm? Musk. He wants to take, you know, sell tickets to outer space. That would look like if you would get on one of those. Here we go. Prophet was like on the ocean. It's like, where am I going? It's like going to outer space. When he got to New York, he wrote back about it. He said, "It's different here. There's so many lights on at night that it's like daytime, <laughs> and everybody has a car." And everybody drives it. Because in India, only the rich people had cars, and they had drivers. <laughs> it was like another planet for him. They all have cars. They all drive them. Lights on at night, or like make it like day. I mean, it's how he was like, they'd gone to another planet with a, with a, with a, with a trunk of books to tell them about Goloka hmm? from Bharat. From Brudge with Imbarat, which is another dimension, right? From another dimension he came. So, anyway, he told that devotee, Gopa Vrindapal, nice name, Gopa Vrindapal, the Pal of the Gopa Vrinda, the protector of the, of the group of, of uh, Govinda's Gopas. Govinda, Govinda, the protector of his group, friends. Akshikshatri Vishvashvo, as we said. 
protected them as they marched into the mouth of Agasura. So, anyway, um, Prabhupada said, no, with the devotees, you have to let them be individual and have follow their individual inspiration. He wanted to encourage that. And then Gopavrinda Paul said, but Prabhupada, Tamal and Krishnamar said that you gave all the devotees that they had to, you know, when they went out, they had to collect a certain amount of money, so you regulated it in that way. And Prabhupada, I have never said that. That is Tamal of Krishna's concoction. <laughs> Just as an aside there. So his idea was that they would go out and they would have it chanted all morning. They would be inspired. That's what I used to do in Los Angeles. And after the morning program, then I would go before the deities and I would chant until I got inspired. Until hmm? I got so absorbed that I began to move in bliss rather than by any other motive. That's Then I would go out. It was my system. Hmm? And so Prabhupada kind of looked at us like that. They're going out in bliss and they're saying something. It may not be perfect, but the heart it's coming from, the intention is perfect, and they might say it a little wrong, but they're giving the perfect book. So, no harm. It's made up for. Hmm? So this was his uh, spirit. And again, he had a sense of urgency, so he placed a lot of trust in us, let them go. And sometimes the trust was violated, and we did things that were ended up being not approved by him, but he was very, very generous with us. And he didn't stop trusting us. He didn't really have a choice. <laughs> so, it's the early beginnings of the international you know, uh, dispensation of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's uh, divine precepts. And um, so, Ishwar Puri, there he was in the house of Mahaprabhu, and Mahaprabhu said, check out my book. First thing Mahaprabhu said, well, they, 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 really, there can't be any fault in a book written by a devotee like you. Hmm? He insisted, no, keep it, and keep reading it, please find it. So later Mahaprabhu found something, what was it, an um, incorrect verb or something like that, and so he brought it up to him. Hmm? He said, if you want some minor thing, I, I found it. And then Ishwar Puri said, oh, and he looked at it and he meditated on it. And then he looked at it very carefully overnight. He said, actually, I was, I was right what I said here. He, Nimai Pandit was wrong. So he went back to Nimai Pandit and said, I'm right, and he was wrong. And Nimai Pandit was very pleased to be corrected by his guru. The only one who ever corrected Nimai Pandit. Hmm? In everybody else, no one could defeat him. It was his guru. There he accepted defeat. Hmm. So, long segue here. Um, but what I was saying is that um, rasa, rati, we somebody say, somebody say madhuri rati, sakya rati. The word sakya rati, madhuri rati applies both to the budding stage of rati and the mature stage of rati which is sometimes the latter, which is sometimes referred to as rasa. So sometimes the word sakirati will be referring to the bhava stage. Sometimes it may be employed 
to be referring to the, to, to prema. Hmm? But at any rate, rati. Hmm? Prem is constituted of rati. Rati is a, it's thought to be unto itself a, a ray of the sun of Prem. And Bhakti Rasa comes from that. So Bhakti Rasa doesn't come from poetry. The secular aestheticians like Bard Muni, the original in India, later Vishwanath and Sahitya Dharpan, not Vishwanath Chakravati, but these are, as I say, secular authors. But again, it's hard to really call them secular because they had their own religious conception. Bard's idea was that through the arts, we are displaced by participating them in them from our everyday life hmm? by way of being catapulted into the drama, into the song, into the poetry itself, and experiencing the emotions therein. And that displacement... Hmm? Is something like Shanta, something well, something like Brahman. So he thought of it as a kind of a tool, something like that. Hmm? But of course, it's not a theory of Bhakti Rasa, hmm? but how the arts might be facilitate us in, in giving giving us like an altered perspective and opening us to I'm not an expert on this theory but transcendence like um, so um, of course Rupa Goswami taken the terms from these so he's not entirely secular is what I'm going to say but, but he, he's not writing about Bhakti Rasa so the Rasa that he's talking about is secular poetry and in secular poetry hmm, the poetry itself gives rise to rasa. Hmm? Rasa is like the soul of the poetry, right? Hmm? So when the bhavas the, com- combine together, the vibhav, the sattvika, the sattstai bhav, the, the vibhav, the, sat- the uh, sanchari bhav, and so forth, when these all combine together, hmm? they arise out of the stai bhav like like water in the ocean arises and turns into a cloud and then that water pours down again on the stayibhav in the form of the vibhav, sattvigabhavs, sanchadibhavs, anubhavs, and so forth. It's those technical terms and you may not understand them thoroughly. I've written about them and explained them at some length in the book that we're supposed to be reading from this morning. Um, but... Um, As a composite, then, uh, these turn rati into rasa. Hmm. And so, poetry does not give rise to rasa. You don't have to be a a, a poet hmm, or a person of the arts to taste bhakti rasa. What did Mahaprabhu say in this regard? What use is poetry? doesn't make the uh, hmm? spin? Is it the, what uses poetry if it doesn't make the head spin? <laughs> uh, I think a verse of Rupa Goswami. No, that's not it. That's right. Nadanam? Najanam? Nasundarim? 
Kavita Bhav. I am not is Ruchi. Ruchi Bhakti, Shuddha Bhakti. Hmm? The higher stages of uh, of sadhana hmm? where where desires, longings real in within sadhana is 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 is, is, is starting to become prominent. Anyway, then it's defined in Shikshastak in a negative way. Not not this, not this, not this. I don't desire the world. The world means fame, Najanam, wealth, Nadanam, Nasundarim, romantic companionship, for example, Sundarim. And Kavitam. Kavi means Kavitam means poetry. So he means neither the arts. This is this is you know somewhat removed, refer, refined, sattvic sensibilities. If you want to go and listen to classical music, it's not like hip hop. <laughs> what kind of adhikar do you need to like hip hop? You need a good dose of tamaguna, probably. <laughs> Get into it. <laughs> but, it's classical music, you know. It's like boring or weird unless you've got the right the adhikar for that refined, sattvic personality, somewhat removed from the from the from the herd, right? If we if humanity is moving away from animality, and this is far far removed, the sophisticated, cultured. Educated, refined, <laughs> sattvic sensibilities. Mm. And Mahabhu says, Kavitamba, that won't get you bhakti rasa. You can't just be, by becoming a poet, you can't get my rasa. No. Mm. Not like that. But by rati, you can get rasa. Rasa comes from rati. But the nature of this. Rasa is such that it can take poetry hmm, and turn it into something by which you can get rati. It can spiritualize the poetry. It can take the language of poetry, which is most suitable for speaking about rasa, hmm, because it's a world of all possibilities. In poetry, we can use that kind of language. As I sometimes say, the moon can have wings and fly across the sky in poetry. You have to understand, this is just a different way of looking at the world. It's as real. Niels Bohr, the famous, I think it was Niels Bohr, famous uh, Nobel laureate physicist, he said, the religious stories and myths and poetry and so forth mm-hmm. They are not unreal or less real than our scientific pronouncements. They are ways of speaking about things that our scientific method cannot cannot grasp. Hmm? There are things beyond words, beyond observation. What about that? Beyond the limits of the senses, beyond the limits of our... Uh, ability, intellectual ability to reason about empirical observations 
and reach conclusions. With that, we cannot reach a conclusion that will fully satisfy us. That means we can't reach comprehensive knowing. Comprehensive knowing is that knowing by which I know I don't need to know anything else. Hmm? A noetic bliss. Hmm? A, a, a knowing, a, a bliss that is wise. It's, it's Platini and Samvit, a wise kind of knowing. Hmm? A, a, a wise kind of loving, I should say. Wise love. Hmm? And and so, who has rati? Where do you get rati from? Someone who has rati. That means from Guru Paramparavi. So then, then that, if we want to speak about that, our Goswamis have spoken about that. They've written about that. And they've, when you're writing directly about it, when writing philosophically about it, then they want to write in prose and philosophically. Rupa Goswami's done that in Bhakti Rasimhita. And of course, it's peppered with poetry. Pramanas and so forth, and and then Lila Granta books, which is like the second canto of this book, is like the narrative, retelling the narrative of the the, the, the Prakat Lila of the of the Sakyaras center of the Bhagavatam. Hmm? So it, when they wrote books like this, then they, then they were all uh, in poetry. Hmm? So they employed this language, and that language then becomes empowered. Hmm? With Rati, hmm? then that poetry can be an aid to our attaining and tasting Rati and Bhakti Rasa. Therefore, we should not. Therefore, if we, therefore, if we do want to write poetry about Krishna, it should have some tattva and proper understanding, and so that it will and become. If, such that it will have power. Hmm? Power. It's not just sit down and with your material emotions and sensibilities write a poem. Hmm? I mean, you can start somewhere, but the poetry of the Goswamis, this is uh, rich, empowered poetry. Hmm? It doesn't say everything about, uh, you can't say everything about what is what is Batsalya Rasa, what is Madhuri Rasa, what is Sakya Rasa. It defies words. You cannot put it in words, but whatever words it is put in, by some, by some experience of that, that poetry will be empowered. So we should understand, of course, by extension, what to speak of having the ability, rati, to transform poetry into a vehicle for its dissemination and its nourishment, to nourish one's own rati, hmm? to express it in poetry. Hmm? That poetry will unnourish the rati. Hmm? What to speak of being able to do that with poetry? Rati can do that with the whole world. The rasa can do that with the whole world. The, we can say, these are the udipana vibhavs of Madhurya rasa. These are the udipana vibhavs of Sakya rasa. Hmm? So, so, as listed by Rupa Goswami, for example. Then we can explain about that, we can explore them. Hmm? And so on. Krishna's flute, his ages, hmm? his age, for example, of Poganda, boyhood, is an Udipana for Sakirasa. Hmm? Actually, all the ages are, because the Sakirasa center is, begins with the end of the Seshkumar and extends into the beginning of 
Madhuri, which starts to begin at the end of Poganda. But anyway, the age is in Udipana. Uh, other things listed for the different rasas and so forth. But what is an Udipana then? You know, we're talking about Udipana Vibhava. It's, it's like a, it causes the, uh, the, the Rati to flourish. It has a causal kind of a effect, right? The qualities of Krishna are Udipana Vibhavas. And as I said the other day, certain qualities for different, for certain rasas and so forth will be more prominent, uh, serve in that capacity. Hmm? But what does it mean? It means there'll be a tipping point. Hmm? So a tipping point in hearing can take a take a devotee to tip to the other side, and from external consciousness and orientation, go to the other side, come back. Hmm? But Mahaprabhu was so absorbed in Krishnarati hmm, that the whole natural world became Udipana for him. The cloud became Udipana for him. Hmm. The sand dune in Jagannath Puri became Govardhan Hill. Any body of water became the Jamuna. And he would jump in. Hmm. They converted the whole world hmm, into uh, uh, that which would give rise to rasa. This is the super extraordinary power of bhakti rasa. It's inconceivable. Hmm? How to do away with the problem of the world? Convert it. Vishvam Purnam Sukhayate. You can't do that with gyan, with yoga. <laughs> That's like, forget it. You're hiding from the world there. Look only at the tip of your nose, nowhere else. Hmm? Once I was sitting with Prabhupada, if you don't mind, <laughs> in the 11th floor of the building in Manhattan, this was a big victory for Prabhupada, right? Because he came and he was first in New York, he was living on the street as a homeless person, and in the end he had a he had a small but nonetheless something was scraping the sky, right? <laughs> a skyscraper, eleven-story hmm? building in Manhattan. So it was newly acquired, and I was sitting there with Prabhupada. It was recently I had taken sannyas also, and Prabhupada, I was sitting alone with Prabhupada. Prabhupada turned to me and he said. Have you seen the New York women? I didn't know what he was thinking, what, what I was supposed to answer. Have I seen the New York women? I guess I should say no. You know, but I just didn't know what to say, so I just didn't say anything. Then Prabhupada said, they're so beautiful. Then he just began talking about the New York women, how beautiful they were. And as he went on and on and on, he said, and then the men are so attracted to them. Hmm? And this way, he said, and that way the buildings are going up and scraping the sky. Hmm? So you're saying the skyscrapers are, are being built by the attractive women hmm? who are capti- captivating the men and then they're working. <laughs> I mean, because uh, women weren't as much in the workplace at that time. And, and, so he, and, and then he said, and then he said at the end, he said, 
this is Vishnu Maya, and his eyes were so big, and he was Vishnu Maya. It's like so, like fascinating. It was so charming how he was looking at the world. So the devotee is not running away from the world. He's he's seeing Vishram Purnam Sukhaya, turning everything into impetus for furthering one's one's bhakti. So. So at any rate, the poetry of we don't you know these are abstract terms to us vibhav anubhav sattvika bhav. You might think, well, I have to learn all this and how do I do that and what is it exactly? So if you study these things carefully under good guidance, you see that they're very easily understood because they're very much pertain to the human psychology and we're all humans. Hmm? And um, so anyway, I've written about this to some extent to help us understand the, the concepts. Um, I won't go into it here, but some might, when I question at the onset, do I have to learn all these terms and be a big poet and the Sanskritist to taste rasa? No, the answer is, Rupakasami says, no, you don't. But then again, let us say you want to watch a movie. Hmm? So every person who watches a movie may get something out of it, maybe transported weep, laugh, become frightened in their seat, and so forth, through the movie, right? Hmm? This is what's supposed to happen to you when you read the, the drama of Krishna Leela. You're supposed to feel the feelings of those who are feeling them. So the idea to write in such a way as it goes so many steps is to bring out the feelings. This is what the Bhagavatam does that other Puranas don't do when they just list, this Leela happened, this Leela happened, this Leela happened, this Leela happened. Something like that. Bhagavatam is different. <laughs> it wants to tell the feeling. And it's so, Sugadeva is so absorbed in trying to share the feeling that he doesn't list all the names. Who are all the gopis? Radha is not even overtly mentioned. Hmm? You think, well, her name is mentioned in the Vishnu Purana, that must be more, more important. No, you can't get the feelings of Radha Dasyam hmm? from, from Vishnu Purana. From Bhagavatam, you can get that. So, no, you don't have to be a poet, but then again, if you study dramatic arts, film, and then you went to the movie, you might see things other people don't see. Hmm? You might be able you might be able to enter into it a little bit more. So it's uh, you shouldn't shy away from something that's a little bit intellectually challenging. Hmm? If you don't challenge your intellect with the bhakti, your mind will challenge it, your senses will challenge it, to work for them, to scheme for them, for their demands. Hmm? Mahaprabhu in his dispensation is making demand upon us hmm? to understand his dispensation as much as you have been to like apply it in this way. So, and you do that, then then you can, then you, then you become a real Mm. Um, a qualified person to to speak about Krishna to share mm. so maybe I'll read from it tonight a little bit <laughs> something from this uh, poetic uh, beginning of the poetic section uh, are there any questions I got a little distracted forgive me I have two questions from uh, 
I don't think I want to entertain separate questions from the, the kind of what we've been talking about at this moment. Yes. Uh, I have a question regarding Nimai uh, as a pandit. If he was a great pandit, why his guru said to him that he should that he is fool and he, sh- he should not uh, study the Vedanta, or it was just Lord Chaitanya saying this to show that in Kali Yuga there is no need for studying Vedanta and only chanting. It was really happened that his guru told him that he is fool and yes. Me as a fool. That's what he says. Yes, Nimai Pandit was very learned. He says through the pen of Krishna Das Kaviraj Goswami that my guru considered me a fool. And I think uh, he's speaking to Prakashananda Saraswati in this section. Prakashananda Saraswati was a Vedantin of great measure. And Mahaprabhu was in the, in the process of converting him from a dry Vedantist to a Rasik uh, Bhakta, to a Rasika. Indeed, Prakasananda Saraswati misunderstood Mahaprabhu and said, he is a Babuka, a sentimentalist, a Babuka. Although he's a Bharati, he's from the Bharati community, one of our communities, Sanyas communities, the Bharat lineage, because he was initiated by Keshava Bharati in the Bharati lineage, but he's he's actually conducting himself like a babuka, uh, babuka, a, a sentimentalist. Not appropriate, mm-hmm. but you can tell he's still attracted to him. Of course, the Bhagavatam says, "Negamakabhutaro galitam phalam sukumukadamatadravasambitam." Pibata Bhagavatam Rasamalayam Muhuraho Rasika Bhuri Babuka says you have to be a Babuka <laughs> to understand the Rasa of, of, of Srimad Bhagavatam. You have to be a sentimentalist. Hmm? Bengalis are well suited for that. Hmm? <laughs> Their Mahaprabhu appeared amongst them. Hmm? They're like the Latins of the Hindu uh, <laughs> sector. So, um, so Mahaprabhu told in, in humility, which very much contrasts the pride hmm, that he saw in the Advaitins. And he said, my guru told me I'm a fool hmm, and I shouldn't study Vedanta. Instead, he just gave me this mantra Krishna Nam, and I'm chanting that, and this is what happens to me. I roll on the ground, I weep, I I do all these babuka type things. Like I said, if you're if you're in Baba, then you can act in any way. So 
he, he, he cited a verse from Bhagavatam. This mantra made him roll on the ground and not care for others, what they think, and weep and call out and so forth. It had magical powers on him. So Mahabhu was contrasting the gyan with bhakti and employing the term Vedanta to the Vedantists hmm? and saying, this is not the way who just study Vedanta, which is their way. Study the Vedanta, penetrate on the significance, the cones, cones, tattvamasi, hambramasmi, neti neti, until you get an epiphany and, and so forth and, and melt the constructs of the mind and so forth. Hmm? This way you, you, you eradicate karma through, through sadhana, through jnana. Um, so this is not the way of Mahaprabhu. So in one sense he's referring to them. Hmm? My guru said, don't be a Vedantist. Hmm? Um, Mahaprabhu's punditry was before he was a Vaishnava or a Vedantist or anything. Hmm? He was a learned person. But with regard to the actual spiritual path, he's saying that, that we should be a devotee, hmm? not a jnani, hmm? uh, something like that. Uh, once, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't become learned in sambandhagyan, the knowledge of bhakti. So there's knowledge, for example, of the difference between Atma and Brahman, or the likeness, the sameness between Atma and Brahman. This is the knowledge that the, the jnani Vedantins are preoccupied with. The oneness, the likeness between Brahman and Atma. There's so much concern with the likeness that they think there's no difference hmm? at all. Anyway, that's another point, but... Um, that's not the only kind of knowledge. That's real knowledge compared to just knowing things about the material world. If you don't know yourself, what do you know? You're a fool. But uh, with regard to spiritual knowledge, the knowledge, the sambandhagyan, the knowledge of Bhagwan and his shaktis, hmm, that is superior to simply the knowledge that constitutes the likeness between Brahman and uh, and and Atman, hmm. right? So um, that's what he's talking about there. But uh, uh, let me tell you an antidote to uh, appreciate the point. I was once listening to uh, Bhakti Sundar Govindamarj give a lecture, and uh, he was lecturing uh, on this section of Chaitanya Charitam. We were referred to it, and he said. Mahaprabhu said that he that uh, my guru told me not to study Vedanta. Hmm? That I'm a fool. I should just chant, just chant Hare Krishna. So he was going on and on about this. You don't have to study Vedanta. Not about that. Just chant the holy name. This is the thing. So, so he's going on and on and speaking about this at some length. And I'm listening to him. And when he's saying it, he's quoting all these verses to support his point. <laughs> From Chaitanya Chaitanya, from Chaitanya Bhagavad, and I thought, oh, you know, it's got a few verses here. He's making a point. You don't have to be learned. <laughs> and he, he learned. <laughs> so, 
so I had a chuckle. So, so, but yeah, see, <laughs> chanting the holy name is the, the end of knowledge. It's, it's, uh, it's, 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 so we do want to cultivate the sambandagyan, hmm? knowledge of bhakti. I mean, who is Bhagawan? What are his different forms? So this is, you know, all part of the uh, the knowledge that um, begets the bhakti is arises in the context of. All right, so that's good enough, I think, for this morning. Nice to sit with you all. Bhaktirasa ki jai. Sri Sri Gaurita Nanda ki jai. Gaurabhaktivinda ki jai. Bhaktivinda ki jai.